Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Well, hello and welcome to the third and final joint Giant Splash and Ace Plus podcast from the winter meetings in San Diego, which ended just minutes ago. Uh, I'm Henry Shulman, the Giants beat reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle, as always with Susan Slusser, the A's beat reporter for the Chronicle. And it, it's usually kind of a happy moment when the winter meetings ends, isn't it? Yeah, I think I hear people clapping right now. Yeah, it's, did, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. gosh, maybe fireworks or something. Fireworks We're right next off. to the harbor. I think maybe some fireworks over the harbor for the end of the... I, I got to say something funny. I was sitting in my room and the fireworks actually went off almost like literally minutes after Garrett Cole signed. Nuh-uh. The three they, yeah, seriously, $324 million, and I thought that maybe, I don't know, maybe Boris set them off. I don't know. Well, I've told you this. I haven't talked on the podcast about sitting with a bunch of Yankees beat writers when that trade went down, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's crazy. You so were at a restaurant. I'm at a restaurant with uh, four people who cover the Yankees full-time. Brian Cashman strolls in as we're, we're sitting down, and we chit-chat with him, crack some jokes. He's a, a super guy, wonderful with the media. And my friend Marlene Rivera, who works for ESPN, says to him as he's walking off, like, hey, don't break any big news until we finished our dinner. And about an hour later, we're sitting there eating, and all of a sudden, I see all the Yankees writers suddenly start wildly signaling for the check. And I went, oh, no. While Cashman was sitting. While Cashman's sitting three tables over, and, and they're all, like, craning their necks, trying to look at Cashman. And to his credit, he kind of came back over. He was also, like, high-fiving twins executives on his way. <laughs> and he was like, hey, guys, yeah, I can't really talk right now. But he's he was beaming from ear to ear. And all of a sudden, and Aaron Boone out of nowhere rushes into the restaurant, just huge smile on his face, and kind of stopped dead in his tracks when he saw a table full of reporters and then tiptoed around us, and there were lots of hugs. And it was speaking as the one person who just did not care at all, except for in the context of now I don't get to see Garrett Cole pitch in the AL West anymore, and I actually love watching Garrett Cole pitch. But uh, yeah, it was very strange to watch all that transpire and also kind of amusing. I was like, you guys just go. I'll, I'll get the check. You guys pay me back later. It's it's fine. Well, the only <laughs> the only thing I can add to that story is I know which restaurant it is, and I had a really good steak salad there the other night. Well, I think that adds a... I think that adds a the, lot yeah, to the absolutely. story, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, a lot to get to here. We, we missed yesterday's uh, podcast, uh, the, the Wednesday podcast, because uh, I had a lot of breaking news uh, on the new coaching staff. And I'll yes. get, to, get to the new coaching staff. Do you staff. not want to start with that? Okay, I'll start with the new coaching staff. Yeah, because there's yeah, some pretty wild stuff, right? Yeah, that is some pretty wild stuff. Uh, the Giants announced eight coaches yesterday to join Ron Wotus on the staff, and uh, you haven't heard of any of them. And when I say you, I mean everybody. Nobody's heard of any of these guys, aside from the new pitching coach, who's going to be Andrew Bailey. You know him well, I former know. A's. No, Andrew Bailey, one of my favorite people. Former A's pitcher and, and, and really uh, represents most of the major league playing experience on this new coaching staff, um, as well as... Um, the, uh, another uh, Brian Bannister, who we've already reported from, uh, they were plundered him from the Red Sox to be their director of pitching. But otherwise, the, the Giants have hired a staff full of guys aged 29 to 38 uh, who have very little, if at all, any major league playing or coaching experience. They actually have hired a bench coach named Kai Correa, who 
did not play baseball beyond college and has not been even a minor league manager. And it's a very, very unique coaching staff hmm. that, they, that they've assembled. Um, and, and Gabe Kapler, the manager, flat out said when we asked about it is that he said that, the, that having major league experience as a coach or a player is probably the least predictive thing you can have, uh, the least important thing in what makes a good major league coach. Hmm. And it's all about instruction. It's all about um, being able to communicate with players. And, and these are a lot of guys who are versed in biomechanics, uh, analytics. Um, a, a lot of them have played the game at, right. at some level. And, uh, but, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting. For me, mostly, it's going to be interesting to see how these guys interact with the older players like Brandon Crawford and Evan Longoria. That's the key. Like the, Buster, If you've got a pretty young right. team, sure, you know, guys who don't have big league experience – are probably going to be fine, but yeah. uh, you, you have a young guy with no big league experience or even much coaching experience in pro ball, right? Uh, and you're telling Buster Posey how to do something. I don't know. I, that might not go over so well, right? It's just another sign that really the Giants are looking ahead uh, toward a year or two from now when it's really going to be their own prospects who are coming up. Right. And uh, the point that Farhan Zaidi and uh, Scott Harris, the GM, and Gabe Kapler made last night when we were talking to them about this is that um, they really see that major league coaching, uh, major major league coaching staffs are really there to develop, just like they are in the minors, right. to help develop players, and um, that there's um, really development never stops. It doesn't right. matter whether you're a rookie or whether you're a 15 year veteran. You can still, you know, you can still require development in teaching and instruction, and and that's what they're going to do. And I, I don't have time to. We don't have time here to go over all the names, um, but I suggest you read my story on sfchronicle.com. Yeah. It has a little bio on, on each of these new coaches, all the way from 29-year-old Justin Veal, who's going to be one of the co-hitting coaches, a, a former Dodger minor league uh, coach, uh, to Kai Correa, who is uh, the defensive coordinator in the Indian system. I didn't know there was such a role. Uh, all the way up to Brian Bannister, the old man of 38. And oh, uh, I mean, I, I just have a feeling that Ron Wotus, who's, you know, is a approaching 60 his main job is going to be decided deciding which of these kids can take the car yeah exactly <laughs> making sure they're all insured to take rental cars and things exactly like that. Yeah. i mean the only thing I'll, the last thing i'll say about this is that look this is a grand experiment the giants don't put it that way because i mean there's been a movement in the industry toward non-traditional coaches uh who have experiences beyond major league playing experience who've learned certain things who've worked in private clinics there's a trend toward that but it's usually one guy on a staff two guys on a right. staff. This is going to be the giant right. staff. They talked they talk to a woman hitting coach. They did, uh, and, and I'd, I'd screw up her name if I said it. Um, I, it Rachel. It, it's Rachel. It, it's a name, and I don't want to screw it up, but yeah. she just got hired uh, as the as a Yankees minor league on-field coach, which is, is groundbreaking in, in Major League Baseball. Uh, and the Giants were go- looking to hire her as a quality control coach because her a lot of her experience is, is in strength and fitness, and they want a coach who sort of combines the strength and fitness with hitting and they interviewed her they flew her out to san francisco she ultimately decided to stay with new york but the giants would absolutely have hired a woman to be a major league coach uh if she had wanted to um and i'm just this is either going to be the the greatest experiment ever that is going to lead to uh you know people will remember it for 50 years to come as groundbreaking or it's going to be the biggest uh disaster in history and that's going to be the fun to watch it well cynically speaking you and i kind of talked about this a little bit yesterday they got started really late in the process did that you know is did that maybe play into it at least a little bit the fact that so many of these guys have so little experience a lot of teams already have full coaching staffs and aren't going to let any of them 
you know, talk to another team or interview with another team for a lateral position. Exactly. The, um, I mean, I, don't, I didn't have anybody in the Giants who told me that now, but they hired Gabe Kapler so late, and before they hired a manager, I was talking to one person in the organization, and I asked him, look, isn't it kind of getting late to get a coaching staff? And this person admitted it was. Yeah. And it's very possible I would be stunned if there were not one or two situations where the Giants wanted to hire a major league coach. Maybe Gabe from, wanted to hire somebody off the Phillies staff. And they said, no, it's it's November. It's mid-November. We're not going to let you talk to them. Absolutely. So, that's that's pretty common right. if you've gotten. But uh, it, it's even so, it's still unusual to yeah. get guys with this little pro-ball experience. Very, very so Because usually you would then go to like somebody's AAA team and probably raid those guys. Yeah, but. a couple of these guys have managed in the minors, but in the you know in low A, short season, there's you know very little. Um, well, with some of the time we have left, I'm going to flip it to you on the field. Uh, the very first day on our first Giants-A's uh, joint podcast, we talked about the A's desire to get a second baseman, and uh, it sounds like that they're looking into a, a guy who kind of would know his way through the players' parking lot at the Coliseum. Yes. Um, Billy Bean has talked a lot about his uh, absolute love of Jed Lowry, which he's demonstrated twice already by trading for him twice from the Astros. Now he, uh, it looks like the A's are talking internally, at least, about bringing Jed Lowry back and trying to get him from the Mets. Now, the Mets are in sort of salary dump mode, I think, at that spot. Uh, Jed did not play at all last year. He was hurt. He had a handful of at-bats at the very end of the season. Had a lot of leg injuries. Uh, he's uh, slated to make $10 million next year, so that's that's significant. The A's would not take all of that on. Uh, I'm not even convinced they would take more than 4 or $5 million on. I, do the Mets do that if that's all the salary relief they're getting? I don't know. I don't know, but they didn't get much out of Lowry last year. Their GM, Brody Van Wagenen, is also a Stanford guy. He was Jed's agent, so, you know, he's got a real uh, connection with Jed. They're friends, so I don't really know how that lands. But the A's are also talking trade uh, with the Pirates uh, for Adam Frazier. Uh, my understanding is the Pirates actually have some offers, initial offers that they're kicking around that they might like better than what they might get from the A's. Um, so that's a possibility. Uh, Whit Merrifield from the Royals, I know the A's love. Why wouldn't they? He was an all-star last year. He would cost quite a lot in a package in terms of prospects. I'm not sure the A's would be willing to give up any top prospects. You know, the funny thing about Whit Merrifield, and I mean, he really is a versatile player. He's a good hitter, but I mean, he's not a young man. It took him forever no. to get to the major leagues. No, I think he's He's 30. a real unique yeah. case, you yeah. know, for, um, I mean, he's not 24 or 25. He's 30, yeah. Yeah. Adam Frazier's 27, so if you're giving up some prospects, and he, w- he would not take the kind of pack package the Merrifield would yeah. um, and he's 27 so that might be a little bit more uh, of a possibility so uh, the A's are kicking the tires on a couple of free agents uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there um, obviously as a Stanford grad and having and knowing Jed well I would who wouldn't love to see Jed he was an all-star with the A's two years ago so uh, that would be kind of fun but uh, they're definitely when people talk about is it going to be Barreto Mateo noisy. I think it's pretty clear the A's are looking elsewhere for their second baseman at this point. And one other A's question I want to ask you, uh, Blake Trinan uh, did sign with the Dodgers. I believe it was a one-year $10 million contract. Uh, Were the A's at all involved in that uh, or is that just too much money? Well, the A's were hoping... It's interesting because the A's did talk trade with some teams, including the Dodgers, for Trinan. They could have gotten something. So you think, well, why didn't they just make a trade then 
if the Dodgers wanted him, the Dodgers then could have just paid him $8 million in arbitration. Before he was non-tendered. Before he was yeah. non-tendered. Uh, I, the A's kept talking to him after he was non-tendered. I think the A's would have loved to have him come back to them at $5, 6000000 million, something like that. You know, he had two, one of the best relief seasons ever two years ago. But last season, he was completely unreliable. He would, If he was sitting here right now, he would tell you that. $8 million is a lot for a team like the A's for a guy you just don't know what you're going to get. Right. For the Dodgers, $10 million for a guy you don't know what you're going to get, that's nothing. They're one of the richest teams in the world. So uh, I think that's what happened. I think the A's thought, hey, maybe if the market is not there for him, maybe we can get him back. All things being equal, maybe he'd want to come back to Oakland. But uh, obviously, if, if you got teams like the Dodgers involved, they're just not going to have a shot. Okay. Uh, well, we want to wrap up the winter meetings here, both in terms of the Giants and A's and in general what happened here, and talk a little bit about the Rule 5 draft. And uh, why don't we do that right after this? You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. She is Susan Slusser. I'm Henry Shulman. This is the Giants Splash and A's Plus joint podcast. And uh, these are going to be our last words here from the winter meetings uh, before oh, we get so into sad. sort of the big. I know, I know. Before we get into the big picture, uh, a lot of fans, especially those who are Baseball America freaks, do tend to like the Rule Five Draft, which we just uh, had here downstairs at the Hyatt Hotel. Um, and uh, the Giants uh, selected uh, with in the major league portion of the draft. They selected a pitcher from the Blue Jays named Danny Jimenez. He's uh, I think he's 26 years old, but he throws in the upper 90s and um, actually J.J. Cooper of Baseball America who actually writes a lot about uh, prospects in the Rule 5 draft actually wrote that uh, he was the, he thought he was going to be the best player, his, he called his favorite player in the draft. So for $100,000 the Giants are taking a fly on uh, a pitcher who can, you know, get the ball up there in the high 90s and, uh, you know, decent secondary stuff. 14 strikeouts for nine innings, I believe, last year. Uh, had a really good double-A season. But, of course, uh, in the Rule 5 draft, the reason he's available is because he wasn't one of the better prospects in the organization he came from, uh, including the Blue Jays. Uh, I mean, in this case, the Blue Jays. So, you know, we'll kind of have to see. Uh, the, the Giants have to keep him on the... 26-man roster. We're going to have to get used to saying that, right? Yeah. They're going to have to keep him on the 26-man roster, uh, and if they decide not to, then they would have to uh, first put him through waivers, then offer him back to the Blue Jays. Now, the A's uh, did a maneuver today in the they Rule 5 draft. It happens. Uh, Could you explain it? Well, similar to what the A's did with Mark Canna several years ago, your Cal guy, um, they, Cal guy. they did not select a player in the Major League portion of the Rule 5 draft, um, but after it was over, it was announced that they traded for Vimeo Mashin, uh, who's a left-handed hitting infielder. That's exactly what the A's said they were looking for for their 26th man roster spot. Uh, so he'll get a chance to, to win that spot. The, so the A's sent cash considerations to complete the trade, have somebody who was picking higher take them, and then uh, it was all prearranged. This is exactly what they did with Canna. Um, but the A's lost a Rule 5 guy, Mark Payton, who I was really looking forward to seeing this spring. He had an invite. He hit 30 homers at Vegas last year. and I, Vegas was a lot launching pad, but he's five foot seven and I'm told might not even quite be like 
really five foot seven, and he had a monster season and a left-handed hitting outfielder. So the A's compensated uh, for that by, in the minor league portion, taking a 30-year-old left-handed hitting outfielder, um, Jason Crisen, who I think is just going to plug right into that Mark Payton spot. Yeah. So uh, we do. I kind of like the Rule of Five draft day. It's it's interesting stuff, and every once in a while you find a gem. Yeah, it's rare. Uh, and the Giants also took a couple of players in the minor league portion of the Rule of Five draft. We won't go over that yeah. on the podcast, but you know we'll both be writing about that at least in uh, in our notebooks or whatever we have for tomorrow. All right, so this was a winter meetings where Garrett Cole went for three hundred and twenty-four million dollars. Steven Strasburg in the uh, you know the mid two hundred million range. Uh, Anthony Rendon went to the Angels to join Mike Trout on a two hundred forty-five million dollar contract. I mean, the winter meetings are sort of back as a place where. Uh, big deals get done, little deals get done, and yet here are the Giants and A's, and I, I think that the fans know with both teams, particularly the A's always, and, and the Giants now in where they are in their rebuild, you know, they don't get to play. You know, yeah. it, it, it's uh, it must be a little bit not fun uh, for fa- our fans back in the Bay Area, or for the, our team's fans back in the Bay Area, um, that you know all this happens around you and. You know, it's, it, and your team is not going to be involved. I mean, no. you think there's some of that? Well, yeah, a little bit. But I think uh, A's fans probably know that even if the A's aren't going to be going after a Cole or Strasburg, if they, if they, in the event, at any time in the next several years, which might this might be a long shot, that they give anybody a nine-figure kind of contract, it's going to be extending one of their own guys. Right. And I think right. they would probably prefer to see, say, Matt Chapman or Matt Olson stay with the A's for a significant amount of time than bring in somebody you know that like that and the A's the A's are very lucky they've got a solid rotation pretty much six man deep they don't have to go out they certainly don't need a third baseman so um that's uh it's going to be interesting and, I, I, and I, you know the Angels big need was for pitching so they're spending yeah. a ton on Rendon they still do not have a rotation well uh Jeff Fletcher who's a friend of ours who covers the Angels for the uh Orange County Register I uh his birthday, his fiftieth birthday is coming up, so I m- might have bought him a Corona or two last night. And uh, should have bought him fifty. A fifty? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I should have. Um, he did say that they're still looking at pitching, and you know, there's still a potential landing spot for Madison Bumgarner. Although I, th- I think that that's. Um, you know, a little less likely now. The Dodger stuff is interesting with Bumgarner. Is that is that for real? Well, uh, it depends hilarious. on who you ask. I know. Well, him be, and Max Muncie, arm in arm. I know. Well, I, I actually tweeted that if. Uh, Dodgers signed uh, Bumgarner, the Giants, in 11 seconds. Farhan should go out and sign Yasiel Puig. <laughs> and, and so many people took that seriously on Twitter. I, I actually one, one person called me a, on Twitter. One person called me an idiot. You well, know. I mean, that was that in regards to that. that or was tweet. that just a general? Oh, je- just general. No, yeah. I, I, I tweeted back that a lot of people call me idiots, but that's just my family. Uh, Madison Bumgarner uh, still is on the board as we're recording this. He probably, I mean, he wants five years at. Uh, average of twenty million a year, hundred million dollar. I don't know that he's going to get it. I mean, as as great as he's been, uh, there's a lot of wear on that arm, and uh, you know, it, it, the Giants are still sort of marginally involved in this. Uh, but Farhan basically it would not make sense for them. No, How would it, that make it sense really for it would just it would. This is what you know the the Giants changed regimes and brought Farhan Zaidi in so that they wouldn't make decisions based on on heart and more right. on their head. And this would be based on right. on heart more than head. Hey, can we talk a little bit about some of the stuff from yesterday with Rob Manfred? Um, oh, really absolutely. fast, because yeah, sure. we both got to go write some stories. But um, he announced that teams would be extending netting 
the A's and the Giants are the two teams we found out immediately. Two that of seven. Two of seven that are extending the netting all the way to the foul poles. I think this is a great idea. I, a lot of fans are upset about it, and I'm not sure they understand that the, the netting is removable during batting practice. There's still 100% interaction between fans and players during batting practice. They can give people balls. They can play catch with kids. Um, and even during the game, like the you know you can like a ball boy can pull up the net and give somebody a ball, exactly. a foul ball. Exactly. Um, and also the netting is so thin and so transparent. I went down when the A's put the netting up um, through the dugout a couple two years ago, and after two minutes or so, you just don't even notice right. it. Right. People have said it affects photos. I'm not even sure that's true. I take a ton of photos through the batting cage, which is not thin, transparent, and and you could see the the players just fine. That's like sometimes metal or very thick um, netting, and you can see things fine. So I, I don't think that the concerns are really all that uh, – valid's not the right word. I understand why people are concerned, but I don't think that they need to be. I think that it's great. A woman was killed two years ago by a foul ball. Toddlers have been severely injured by foul balls, and people think this is about people on their phones and not paying attention. Foul balls are hit so hard now, so much harder. One of the toddlers was hit by a 105-mile-an-hour right. foul ball. Right. Nobody can get out of the way of a 105-mile-an-hour. And you can't say elderly people and small children shouldn't sit in the first deck. I mean, you can't do that. So, uh, And if you could be a paying attention and an elite athlete, and if somebody in front of you ducks, you're going to get smoked in the face. Yeah. Or I mean, a ball can ricochet off the chair in front of you, and you're going to get smoked in the face. You can't react that quickly. So this is a safety measure. Teams have to do It's liability. It's safety. I'm all for safety. Why wouldn't you be? Yeah. I mean, a lot of things in life over the decades uh, are done for safety, and, and initially people are, are ticked off about right. it. Um, Somebody was killed, Henry. Somebody I, was killed, I right. I don't think that anybody right. really should be arguing Yeah, this and one. I mean, uh, I actually, on my social media, I actually saw more people who were in favor of it than opposed. And you're right about the netting. The new netting is called Knotless, K-N-O-T-L-E-S-S. And, and netting used to be the little strands were actually tied together, and you, you couldn't help but see the knots right. where, they, where they tied together. And now they're fused together. And uh, I'm, I'm with you about one or two times a year. I'll go to Oracle Park just to watch a ball game. I'll buy a ticket to go in it's, uh, once in a while. And I've sat three, four rows behind the, uh, the screen. And, and within, yeah, within half an inning, you don't even know yeah. it's there. I mean, you know I'm a big hockey fan. I go to a lot of hockey games. You don't notice the glass. You don't notice the netting. You're watching the game. It doesn't affect it, but it's keeping, you know, a girl was killed by a hockey puck about 10 years ago. Yeah, behind the and net. Behind the net, yeah. and, and all the hockey arenas changed it. Nobody notices. Nobody yeah. complains. Okay, we'll, we'll spend the last 40 minutes Off of this podcast. Off my soap, soapbox. We'll spend, the last, <laughs> we'll spend the last 40 minutes of this podcast talking about the Sharks firing their coach. No, we won't. Um, yeah, one, one other ballpark thing that I can mention. Uh, we all know that the Giants are pulling the uh, bullpens out of harm's way. Speaking of safety, they won't be on the field anymore. Uh, they're going to be put uh, behind uh, the fence. They're remodeling the area, and we also—I've also reported a long time ago—that the dimensions of the park are going to be moved in a little bit. Yesterday, I had a little bit of a scoop, a little mini scoop, where um, I got the actual dimensions. And the one people care about mo- most is Triple's Alley, that 421-foot corner. That's now going to be 415. F- feet so it's still going to take quite a swat yeah. to get the ball out of there it's not a massive the, difference the, yeah yeah but the big one and i think this is going to be more noticeable um for people who can hit the ball straight away center field is at 399 straightaway center has been at 399 has been one of the shorter straightaway centers it's now going to be 391 
So yeah, I know. So I mean, that's an area where you, you get the you get the ball well to straightaway center. You usually get rewarded. Yeah. And uh, what I'm curious to do, the Giants are going to announce all this formally. They're going to uh, have renderings of their new kind of uh, remodel in the outfield. And I can't wait to talk to some of the baseball people about uh, the metrics that they studied because they did. They 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 know exactly how many more balls would have been hit out. Um, in the past years, if if they had these fences now, and, and how it might even affect how they build build a team. Man, yeah. juiced ball and juiced fences. Well, yeah. <laughs> let, let's remember the, they can't do anything about the wind unless they reorient the ballpark or put a dome on it. Right. And, or the talent yeah, level. The giant. The giant. The talent level. Right? <laughs> the Giants are going to dome Oracle Park to make it more home run friendly. The Chronicle has learned. All just right, build Susan. a new one like the Rangers. Uh, yeah, exactly. Our beautiful, brand new, almost ballpark. We're just gonna. Yeah, like a, yeah. an Olympic Stadium <laughs> yeah. in Atlanta. Forget yeah. about it. It's 20 years old. This All right. was a blast, Henry. It was. I well, love talking to you every day. Let's yeah. just keep doing it. Yeah, exactly. You drive exactly. I'll drive I'll be, up to see you. I'll be at your house yeah. at Christmas, and we'll tell the families, "Hey, excuse us, we got to record a podcast." Do a pod. All right, thanks, Susan. Awesome, Henry. Well, Susan and I hope you enjoyed these Winter Meetings joint podcasts. We're going to be doing a lot more Giant Splash and A's podcasts throughout the offseason as the teams build for the 2020 season, and we hope you listen. Giants Double Play is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is Editor-in-Chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. You can support Giants Double Play and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to The Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. You can find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe. If you want to find me on Twitter, I am at Hank Shulman, or you can email me at hshulman at sfchronicle.com. Thank you.